Listener Toby, who grew up in Chicago and enjoys this podcast in Florida, suggested this episode's topic. Thanks, Toby. At barbecues and picnics, at school gym classes and after-school fun, on company teams, as well as competitive leagues, if you grew up in Chicago, you probably played softball at some point. But not just any kind of softball. I mean a specific kind of softball. Today, we're talking about 16-inch softball in Chicago. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. During a brief time when I lived away from Chicago, I was asked if I'd like to play on the company softball team. I responded, sure, do you play 12-inch or 16-inch softball, to which I was stared at quizzically. This is when I realized that something I grew up thinking was popular everywhere was really just a Midwest thing. The place, Chicago, the year 1887. Alumni of Yale and Harvard are spending time at the Farragut Boat Club waiting for the ticket tape results of the big Thanksgiving football game played by both schools when someone throws a rolled-up boxing glove across the room. Someone picks up a broomstick and hits the glove back across the room. A reporter for the Chicago Board of Trade named George Hancock shouts, Say, boys, let's play ball. And so the game now known as softball got its start. According to news sources, that indoor game proved great fun, and George Hancock announced his plans. I believe this affair can be worked into a regular game of baseball, which can be played indoors. And if you all come down Saturday night, I will make up some rules and have a ball and bat which will suit the purpose of the sport and do no damage to the surroundings. That Saturday, two teams were chosen, and a large ball was used along with a small rubber-tipped bat with bases a whopping 27 feet apart. The score that night, 41 to 40, mainly because no one knew what they were doing. The Farragut Boat Club, long since demolished, was at what is now 3016 South Lake Park Avenue, about a mile south of where McCormick Place is. This new game had a lot going for it. Teams could play it indoors with just a bat and ball. Sure, you'd need a couple bases, but just about anything can be used as a base if need be. Over the years, balls used have ranged in size from 12 to 17 inches in circumference. One belief about the popularity of the game in Chicago is that as it could be played with just your hands, it made it easier for those who couldn't afford all the gear, especially during the recession, which hit Chicago hard to still play. Because of the size of the ball, most players couldn't hit it as far, making it ideal for indoor use. And as anyone who's played the game with a 16-inch ball knows, after getting whacked a number of times, the ball loses its firmness, making it even less damaging to players' fingers in its path or the surroundings. The nine-inning game was played by ten players. Two regular baseball's nine players. The extra player in softball would be positioned around second base as a short center. By 1889, the Midwinter Indoor Baseball League had formed. Just three years later, in 1892, there were more than 100 teams around town. Players moved outdoors and formed a second league, which, oddly enough, they called the Chicago Indoor Baseball League. 
Gradually, this new game began to spread to other cities. In 1895, Minnesota's Lieutenant Louis Rober of the Minneapolis Fire Department helped popularize a similar game they had called Kitten Ball after Rober's team, the Kittens. Oh. The game carried on under numerous names, indoor baseball, mush ball, kitten ball, diamond ball, cabbage ball, and even pumpkin ball. Until 1926, when the name softball was officially adopted. As much as I wish Chicago could also take credit for the name, sources show it was a Denver YMCA official that suggested officially calling it softball. And because Chicago, in the 1920s, gambling became a major component of the game, Allegedly, Chicago gangsters like Machine Gun Jack McGurn, the architect of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, sponsored an Italian team called the Nuthouse Cafe and was said to bet as much as $10,000 per game. That's about $158,000 in today's money. And yes, there really was a Nuthouse Cafe. Not sure if they were connected, but the cafe was at 1022 North Clark Street, about where the now-closed Dave & Buster's was for many years. At the 1933 Century of Progress held in Chicago, the first official national invitation tournament was held with more than 350,000 people in Grant Park, watching games played by 55 teams in three divisions, both men's and women's fast pitch and slow pitch for men. The championship games were played at Chicago Stadium on September 15, 1933. The J.L. Friedman Boosters team from Chicago beat Detroit's Briggs Beautywear 5-1 to win the fast pitch tournament. It was the first loss of the season for Briggs after 41 consecutive wins. That had to sting. The pitcher for the Boosters was Harry Kuhn Rosen, who reportedly pitched eight games in three days and still had the energy to allow only one run from the Detroit team. In 1939, Albany, New York manufacturer Fritz de Beer developed a new softball called the Clincher. Unlike traditional baseballs with stitching on the outside of the ball, the Clincher featured zigzag stitch seams sewn underneath the outer shell. The unique design prevented the stitching from hitting against the tough ground of cinder playgrounds and asphalt and splitting. Although other companies like Spalding had their own version of the protected seam ball, De Beers Ball became a favorite in Chicago and New York City, helping grow the game in key markets by cutting costs on new equipment. To this day, the 16-inch version of the clincher is the ball of choice in Chicago. In 1936, the softball championships moved into Chicago Soldier Field, which at that time had a seating capacity of more than 74,000. Both the Chicago Bears football and the Chicago Fire soccer teams currently use Soldier Field for their games. The years during the Second World War saw a decline in the game, but also saw new players being exposed to it by loved ones sending 16-inch balls to servicemen overseas. After the war, softball came back with a vengeance. Local games were known to attract 2,000 to as many as 10,000 fans. 
evening softball doubleheaders reportedly attracted more watchers than White Sox games. Cultural changes in the 1950s took their toll on organized softball. Homes got air conditioning and television, giving families less reasons to seek entertainment and a cool evening breeze watching softball being played. Ongoing gambling rumors scared away supporters, and softball became more of a local neighborhood game. Even so, legendary players like Eddie Zolna and his team, the Bobcats, won 11 national tournament championships in a 15-year period in the 1950s and 60s. Not too shabby. In 1959, games were shortened to seven innings and bases were increased to 55 to 60 feet. And in the 1970s, there was even a Windy City softball magazine. Some of the teams over the years have included names like the Cinderella Flores, the Whips, the 45s, the Sobies, the Stompers, the Baggers, Lettuce Bonnets, Nicky Chevrolet, the Stooges, and the Dugouts. Women's teams have also been quite popular over the years. For those of you longtime fans, Team names such as Northern Laundry, Bloomer Girls, Rockola Music Maids, Fillin's Check Cashers, Windy City Lace, and Southside Desperados may ring a bell. Banana Patch, that is one of my favorite, and Rose and Crown were consistent national champions over a nine-year period. African-American teams like the B-Athletes, Hot City All-Stars, the Senators, Death Wish, Nobles, Jive 10, Iron Man, and the Flamingos have all contributed to the history of 16-inch softball in Chicago. One of the pioneering black teams in Chicago was Maroons Duffy's Florals, formed as far back as the 1920s. Another team, the Brown Bombers, won the Windy City World Series in 1945 and 1946. One of the players for the Bombers was Nate Sweetwater Clifton, who played for the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team. Not from Harlem, by the way. The Globetrotters came from Chicago's Southside. Sweetwater was the first black player to sign an NBA contract with the New York Knicks in 1952. A few key ballparks for 16 in softball have included Blue Island in 1939. The city of Blue Island on Chicago's far south side opened a new ballpark at 123rd and Western with 3,000 fans in attendance. That park would later be purchased by the Blue Island Park District in 1963 and renamed Hart Park after Mayor John M. Hart. Clarendon Park, just north of Montrose in the Uptown neighborhood, which was the go-to park in the 1950s and 1960s. Washington Park on Chicago's south side is home to the DuSable Museum of African American History, Laredo Taft's Fountain of Time sculpture, and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. With 13 diamonds, Washington Park hosts the largest 16-inch softball league in the country. In 2006, it was the site of the Gay Games Softball Cultural Festival. Fill-in Stadium at Devon and Kedzie was host to some of the biggest games and most passionate fans for many years. Suburban parks in Cicero, Hodgkins, Forest Park, Mount Prospect, and Westchester all have fans with fond memories of playing there. 
Of course, I don't want to forget Grant Park with 16 Diamonds and Lake Michigan on one side and the Chicago skyline on the other. It would be tough to think of a more iconic area in which to play 16-inch softball. As softball became more popular, teams went on the road to play games in Marshalltown, Iowa, La Crosse, Wisconsin, Las Vegas, and many other parts of the United States. It was not uncommon for these players to be treated like rock stars upon arriving in these towns. Chicago-born director Edward Zwick included a few softball scenes in his 1986 rom-com About Last Night, adapted from a play by David Mamet with a slightly more risque name. In an early scene, Rob Lowe holds his own, even making a diving catch, and Jim Belushi looks like a man quite familiar with the game, having grown up in Chicago suburbs. In the early 1990s, longtime softball player Al Mag began researching and editing a documentary about the history of 16-inch softball in Chicago. It's on YouTube. I'll include a link in the show's notes. And was fortunate enough to not only get a ton of information from fellow players, but he got Major League Baseball Hall of Fame announcer Jack Brickhouse to host the video. Brickhouse, for those of you who may not be familiar, handled broadcasting at various times for the Chicago White Sox, the Chicago Cubs, the Bears, Bulls basketball, and was also a softball fan. The softball documentary includes a mention that it would be nice if there was a 16-inch softball Hall of Fame. Once that seed was planted, things got moving quickly, and in 1996, the Chicago 16-inch Softball Hall of Fame was founded by Al Mag and Tony Rybell, another well-known name in local softball circles. The initial objective stated that the 16-inch Hall of Fame was established to promote the greatest sport in the world and acknowledge its impact on the culture and people of Chicago recognize the best men and women players, managers, organizers, sponsors, the media, and umpires, promote the game to children by providing opportunities to attend clinics on how to play the game and organize tournaments to foster their skills, and create a permanent site. The Hall of Fame group started having yearly dinners at Hawthorne Park Racetrack to reconnect with players and to raise awareness and money to be able to create a true 16-inch Hall of Fame location. I recently had the chance to talk to Hall of Fame co-founder Al Mag about his new book, The Greatest Game on Dirt, written about the history of 16-inch softball and those early dinners and discussions about building a Hall of Fame. The first night we did the dinner... Jack Brickhouse walked up to me and said, Al, there's 700 people here at Hawthorne Park. There are only 500 people. Three weeks ago, I was at the sports, Chicago Sports Hall of Fame dinner, and there were 500 people, and they had all kinds of sponsors, but it was a dull event. He says, there's electricity in this room. He says, whatever the hell you guys are doing, keep it going, because this is Chicago. This is more about Chicago than that was. 16-inch softball experienced a resurgence in 1999 when Chicago public schools adopted the game as a high school sport, thanks in part to the efforts of MAG and the Hall of Fame crew. On July 19, 2009, more than 1,000 players and fans headed to Forest Park just west of the city to see the unveiling of 340 outdoor plaques honoring the stars of this sport 
as well as the new inductee field. Also in attendance that day was local songwriter Jim Peterick, who sang an acoustic version of one of his biggest hits with his band Survivor, Eye of the Tiger. Al Mag was quoted in the Chicago Tribune at the event as saying, People can't relate to a baseball player who makes $10 million a year, but these guys worked hard every day and then rushed to the park to play hard. They did it for the love of the game, not the money. One of the Hall of Famer guests that day was Casey LaRocco, who was 87 at the time. In his 37-year career, LaRocco won 28 major titles and was voted MVP in the Windy City League title game held at White Sox Park in 1948. Finally, in 2014, the 16-inch softball Hall of Fame building was officially opened at the corner of Des Plaines and Harrison in Forest Park, right off the Eisenhower Expressway, at a former gas station that was being used by the Park District. It is a 501c3 dedicated to preserving and honoring the history of 16-inch softball and to fostering the growth of the game. During that recent visit to talk to Al Mag, I also spoke with Ron Kubicki, the Hall of Fame president, and Ray Topps, the vice president, and one of the co-designers and builders of the Hall of Fame building. If my math is correct, the three of them have a combined 140 years of playing softball. I asked Ray Topps about the appeal of 16-inch softball and the Hall of Fame's role in keeping the sport alive. You know, this game attracts people of all levels. You go down to downtown to the Downtown Social Athletic Club, which has got about 20,000 members, m- women and men. They play Colrex softball. To an amazing amount of, of people are playing this game. Granted, the, the level, the, the top level today does not have the amount of teams that were playing maybe 15 years ago. But the best teams today are still very good. It's just that there's a lot of lesser caliber teams, but the game is being played, and that's the most important thing. Our job is to continue to promote this game all around the country, and I I believe that we are. I believe by taking our teams and playing all around the country, it definitely helps promote the game. All three men spoke about making friends that they've kept for 50-plus years due to playing softball around Chicago and how it creates a family. Here's Ron Kubicki. A board member we had whose name was Stan Paddock, who passed away about three years ago. And Stan was very active in the game. He managed a couple teams. Him and I managed together with Pugliese and Bucks. Um, just a great guy. Just a super nice guy. To show he was a family. On the field, everybody wanted to beat Stan. Off the field, I mean, you, you, you couldn't find a, a, a better friend. So when he passed away, I remember his funeral. You had to wait at least an hour and a half to go past the casket. That's how long the line was. And it lasted five, six hours. It was amazing. And that's all the softball family coming together, respecting and remembering a piece of our, our, our game, you know, and, and now he's gone. We put a special plaque out there for Stan, the bench when you see, when you come in the Hall of Fame is for him. But that's the family. It's, 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 it, once it gets in your blood, you know, I said we can argue all we want in the field, but off the field, we come to each other's aid. The three men all echoed a similar sentiment. Kids don't make memories staring at their phones. They gotta get out and create memories with friends. For their part, they host clinics to help kids to learn how to play the sport and to work as a team. 
In July of 2021, it was announced the 16-inch co-ed softball tournament would return to Chicago after a 10-year hiatus. Teams made up of six men and four women will compete, with women allowed to wear gloves, but not the men. The glove-no-glove debate has gone on for almost 50 years when it comes to 16-inch softball. Even Pulitzer Prize-winning Chicago newspaper columnist Mike Royko, who was a fan of the game and wrote about it often in his columns, got into the glove debate when he sued the Chicago Park District when it tried to require players to wear gloves. The city ruled in his favor. I posed the glove-no-glove question to Ron Kabicki and Ray Topps, pretty sure what their answer would be. No gloves for no glove. That's how the game was meant to be. That's how it was developed. Um, They brought the glove in back in, I think it was 78. Uh, ASA thought it would be a good idea to bring teams from out of state and give them a chance. But you got to remember, if you've got an incredible, great player and you put a glove on him, he's even better. So you're not doing, you're not helping him. The reality, in my opinion, the reality of the gloves, all it did was it took a 7-2 game. I'm sorry, I take that back. It took a 17-10 game and made it a 7-2 game. The better team still wins. And as Ronnie said, the best players just get better when they put a glove on. So the reality of it, I think the majority of any player that played consistently at the upper level will tell you they don't want to wear gloves and it doesn't make a difference. Other softball playing notables include, in no particular order, Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan, former Secretary of State and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, actor Joe Mantegna, broadcaster Bob Surratt, former Chicago Bears kicker Robbie Gold, Bobby Hole, both Richard J. and Richard M. Daly, Bill Murray, Dennis Farina, Michael Jordan, Gary Sinise, and many others. In July of 2021, the Hall of Fame celebrated its 25th year with an event that brought back 150 past inductees. Over 400 fans of 16-inch softball attended and were treated to a first pitch by 103-year-old inductee, Don Savage. Now that is a great softball name. I'm sure even at his age, he plays the game better than I do. I asked El Mag how he felt about these first 25 years of the Hall of Fame. Here we are, 25 years later, you know, thanks to the board and Ray and Ronnie and Fritz Zimmerman and uh, somebody like a Rich Melman uh, and so many others that have touched us and helped us along the way. Uh, we're still here. Hopefully, uh, 25 years from now, you're going to be talking to somebody else that's uh, keeping it going. By the way, the company team I mentioned earlier that I played on when I lived away from Chicago, my teammates were so intrigued by the idea of a 16-inch softball that I had a friend from back in Chicago send me one. This was, of course, before the ease of ordering stuff online, and as I recall, I even went to a local sporting goods store to see if they had one. As the ball was passed around, I got more quizzical looks, but I like to think at least one of those players ended up giving 16-inch softball a try.
Thanks for listening to today's episode about 16-inch softball in Chicago, and a very special thanks to Al Mag, Ron Kubicki, and Ray Tops of the 16-inch Softball Hall of Fame. As always, if you have questions about anything covered today, anything to add, or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I'll have plenty of pictures and items documenting the events discussed in this episode on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages throughout the coming week, as well as links to more videos related to the story and a link to the Hall of Fame where you can order a copy of Al Mag's book, The Greatest Game on Dirt. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on those social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with another chapter in Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. If you find yourself near Forest Park, Illinois, check out the 16-inch Hall of Fame. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.